That is what we want to look at this morning. Talk a bit about His goodness and His greatness. I hope that you're abounding in hope. And if you're not, well, we have come together for the purpose of helping us get our eyes back on the Lord, worship Him, exalt Him. And when that happens, hope fills fills our soul. We had a good time together in the 9 o'clock service, and I trust God will meet with us again as we look at this theme, Abounding in Hope from 15... Romans 15, 13. The Bible says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Can we say it out loud together? This is one I want us to try to memorize if we can and to really get down and think it through as we're going to be chewing on it to, together for the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. Romans 15, 13, let's say it together. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, thank you for that wonderful verse. Help us as we look into your word. And I pray, Spirit of God, through your power, the power of the Spirit of God, you would help us to come to that hope, to know you more and to know the richness of your goodness and greatness and how it applies to our lives. Bless now as we look at your word, we commit the service to you, keep the devil out, and keep our minds fixed where it needs to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we saw last week this passage was written to the church that was in Rome, a well-established, vibrant church but not a church that did not have problems. Thank you, men. I forgot in the morning service, and I forgot again. We have an outline going around this time, but the ushers are on it. So they will get one to you. And uh, I want to just put this in your hand. I don't always do a handout, but this time I had a lot of material that I wanted to send home with you. So the men will come around as I'm giving some background here and get that in your hands. Thank you, gentlemen. They came through for me in the first service. I forgot. Second service, I forgot. The ushers didn't forget. Good men. All right. So the church in Rome was a vibrant church, well-established. God was using them, but they had some struggles. There was the Gentile believers, and there were the Jewish believers, and they had differences of opinion about a lot of things. And eventually, the Jewish believers were kicked out of Rome for a time, for about five years, Then they came back, and of course, there's more dissension and more trying to figure out how this church is supposed to work. And Paul saw this and said, we've got a problem. This church is headed toward persecution. Persecution would be bearing down. It was bearing down. It would only intensify as the days went ahead. And they needed to be unified. And they needed some hope of moving forward. And so Paul wrote a lot in Romans about unity and bringing them together and clarifying the things that they were arguing about. But also, uh, in this passage, he just breaks out with this, this little verse on hope. That even through the, the difficulty, the opposition from without, and the disunity from within, they could abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else need a handout? Just put your hand up real quick. Anybody else? All right, good. Thank you, men. Well, we asked this question last week. What is hope? What is hope? If you're going to talk about abounding in hope, we had better know what it's all about. So is it wishful thinking? No. Is it just happy thoughts, positivity? No. Uh, Is it a personality? No. The Bible idea of hope, as we saw last week, means joyful, confident expectation. The Bible idea of hope is wed with the concept of faith. And because we know who we are looking to and depending upon, the object of our hope, the object of our faith, gives us real hope. That confident, joyful expectation that God is going to work. Over the next several weeks, we'll unpack our text, uh, Romans 15, 13, one phrase at a time. The giver of hope will be first. That'll be today. Now the God of hope. The gifts of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The granting of hope in believing. The greatness of hope fill you that you may abound in hope. And we'll look at the grace of hope through the power of the Holy 
Ghost. This morning will be the giver of hope. We'll look at that first phrase. Now, the God of hope. Your hope hinges upon your knowledge of the giver. If you don't have a knowledge of him, if you know him but don't have much confidence in him, uh, there's just not going to be much hope found in him. But as we get to know the giver, now our hope can abound. We've got to get to know the giver of hope. I remember being in college as a freshman and one of the older upperclassmen was giving this testimony of going out with another upperclassman and having a cup of coffee and having their Bibles. And they, he told about how they just studied all these different truths about God. And as he is talking about this, he started to cry and his voice choked up and he couldn't hardly tell the story. He said, as we were talking, as we were doing the study together, he said, I just got to know some things about God that I, I just didn't know. It was, I've never just, I never had a, a time like that. And, and I, I remember listening to him and I remember it going right over my head. <laughs> just whoosh, right over my head. I couldn't understand why he was crying. I also couldn't understand, what did you not know about God? I mean, we know, we know God, like the Bible and God, and he's in our hearts and he's helping us. And like, I, I just didn't get it. I remember just looking at him thinking, okay, there's something here that I'm missing, but I don't know what it is. I walked away scratching my head thinking, he's an upperclassman and he's just figuring out stuff about God? Like, what gives with this guy? Um, you know, where I was at at that time, life was good. Everything's good. Uh, bills are paid. School bill, working on that, you know. But uh, uh, I was a freshman, didn't have much going on. And I know who God is. Academically, I could write a paper called, Who is God? And fill the thing up with who God is and all this stuff. And I just remember that. And, and many times in my life, I've gone back and replayed that, that memory in my mind of that upperclassman weeping about having his Bible with his friend and their cup of coffee and going over truths of God that were just bowling him over. Well, I have since recognized there's a lot more to learn about God. There is so much to unpack. And truly, it is a lifelong pursuit and truly it is something that can bring us to tears and should overwhelm us at times. We've got to get on this journey. I hope today we'll at least take some steps toward really getting to know the giver of hope, the God who gives us hope. How well we know him will be the degree to which we have hope in suffering and in trials. I heard a story about a burned out log cabin, and I got a picture uh, of uh, the idea. This is not the burned out log cabin. I just Googled one, stuck it up there. And the story goes that uh, this, this log cabin burned and everything they had was gone. And this boy, this young boy and his grandfather were standing there watching this and just, just in shock, looking at the remains of home. You can imagine all of the emotions you can imagine all of the questions. What now? And, and, and how do we repair this? Or how, do we, how, do we, how do we go forward? It, it, everything's gone. It's just lost. And this little boy, standing there with his grandfather, just began to weep as he just couldn't see past the burned-out log, log cabin. His grandfather, though, had been a few decades down the road. As they say, he's been around the block a few times and he knew the Lord. And he said reassuringly to the boy, hush child, God ain't dead. Now, God ain't dead isn't good English. I understand that. But it is good theology. And it's simple. The grandfather knew something that the boy didn't know. What we're seeing right now isn't everything. It's all we can smell. It's all we can see. It's all we can feel. It's all we can think about. This burned out log cabin is 
all-consuming to this little boy. But grandfather has been here before. And he knows something the little boy doesn't know. God is not done. He's not dead. He's got a plan. We look past the burned-out log cabin to the God of hope. That's what I hope we can do this morning, and I hope we'll learn to do this and that God will teach us. Remember, whether or not you have hope depends primarily upon the state of your relationship with God, the giver of hope, and how much you know about him. Who is God to you? Is he a God of hope? For some, he's a God of judgment and wrath. It's all they can see. He's a God of uncertainty. He's a God of, of whatever, but, but not a God of hope. Folks, this passage, and I trust many more that we'll see this morning, will help us to see that God is a God of hope. And there's no hope outside of him. We'll look at Psalm 78, <clears throat> verses 2 through 8. The Bible says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which have heard and which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us we will not hide them from our children showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers and that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the generation which should be born, who should rise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. It is our responsibility and our opportunity not just to get to know God for ourselves and to set our own hope in Him, but it is also our opportunity and responsibility to introduce the next generation and the next generation to this God that they might set their hope in God. The hope of the generations to come hangs upon their intimate knowledge of God and the willingness of their fathers to introduce them to him. I'll read it again. The hope of the generations to come hangs upon their intimate knowledge of God and the willingness of their fathers to introduce them to him. Well, how do we do that? The passage lays it out. It says that we are to declare his praises and his strength and his wonderful works, and his testimony, and his law. As we have been told, so we must tell. This is our responsibility. We will not hide it from our children, it says. We will show forth his praises. And you can say, I can't, I can't do that. That's not me. I, just, I, I don't know how to do this. You don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need an ordination paper. You don't need a commentary or a bunch of books. You know, just think back to the burned-out log cabin again. That's what the grandpa did when he said some simple words. Hush, child, God ain't dead. That was Psalm 78, too, in a nutshell. He just showed his grandchild that God is strong. The wonderful works of God are about to be on display let me tell you about his testimony. Let me, let me praise you for what he is. Let me show you, about, let me show you his praises and what he's done in my life. And, and, and the grandfather, I'm sure, can, can tell him things that God has done before and how he has delivered. And therefore, we can trust him to do it again. The hope of the generations to come hangs upon their intimate knowledge of God. And how are they going to get that? while the fathers need to declare it to them. Well, it is hard to declare something that you don't know personally. Think of that burned-out log cabin and Grandpa looking at it and Grandson looking at it. If Grandpa has not walked with God, if Grandpa has not walked by faith and trusted God and seen God deliver and time and time again, 
if rather than coming through the furnaces of life by faith and seeing victory, if Grandpa's come through with bitterness and anger and defeat, Grandpa might have a different thing to tell grandson at that moment. Maybe something we don't, we don't even repeat in church. God let us down again. It is so important for us to live our lives and come through our trials having, having a biblical understanding of what God is doing and the victories that he is winning. What do we know about God? I want us to take our handouts and the excerpt, I believe in your handout, it's in gray. It's taken from Jim Berg's workbook, <clears throat> Taking Time to Quiet Your Soul. I didn't put any of this on the screen because it was a bit much and I thought I'll just put it in your hands and get it in your, in your laps there. But I want us to take the next few moments to consider the question, what do you, what do we know about God? And we'll use this little handout to help us with this. Folks, we need to learn how to meditate when it matters. Uh, Jim Berg, how many of you are familiar with him and the Quieting and Noisy Soul material? We went through it once here in the church. Okay, uh, we'll do it again. That, that'll, that'll come up every so often. It's just so helpful. It's probably been the most impacting lesson series of any kind I've ever gone through personally. Just so helpful. Um, he, he has a, a DVD series and he has a workbook, Taking Time to Quiet Your Soul. And uh, this is an excerpt from that. What, what he tries to do in his material is teach you how to meditate the right way. And if you remember, the, if you've been through it and you remember uh, the, some of the material, remember this statement probably. He says, uh, worriers are great meditators. They just meditate on the wrong stuff. And that's me. And maybe that's you. I, I used to think, man, I can't meditate. My mind wanders. And I try to meditate on Scripture. I try to go over it and mull over it and ruminate on it and chew on it. But I just can't. I'm too antsy. I, no, I can meditate just fine. I just meditate on the wrong stuff. It is work sometimes to meditate. But that's what we're going to do here. For a moment, we're going to go together through this little handout. We're going to meditate together on who God is because this is going to help us get to know the giver of hope. So what do we know about God? Let's look at it here from this little handout. Two things, God is good and God is great. So number one, God is good always. God is good always. And that's something that you'll also see in Berg's material. He, always, he uses that word always. He always uses the word always. Why? Because we will believe that God is good, but maybe not always good. He's always good to everybody else, but like he forgot about me in this situation. No, God is good always. And what does that mean? It means that he will always meet my genuine needs, always. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So much worry happens because of the finances, because of the job, because of the economics, because of what's going on in our, in our lives and in our country and whatever else. And inflation's on the rise. Oh boy, time to panic, right? Uh, and our stocks are going down and inflation's going up. And oh no, what's going to happen? Well, there's some verses in the Bible that tell us about God. And he says, I will supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Anytime we get that switched around, we mess up big time. We want to seek first our comforts and our, our satisfaction and our pleasures and our, our, our freedoms and whatever else. We're trying to seek first the material, monetary things. And God says, no, seek me first and seek my righteousness and I'll add to you all the things that you need. Why? Because I'm good always and that means I always meet your genuine needs. What else does it mean? It means that he will always forgive my sin, always. You know, one thing that keeps me sometimes from hope is despair. 
guilt, failure, sin. And we have to remember who God is. He's the one who died for that sin. He's the one who stands ready to forgive and restore. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 51 verse 1, that whole passage is on forgiveness of sin as David and Bathsheba had sinned together. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And guess what? God did. You might think, oh, God can't forgive me. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. David killed a man and took his wife. That's pretty far. God forgave him, and God will forgive you too. Isaiah 66, 2 says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Sometimes we think that our sin is so great and the guilt is so horrible. God could never use me. God could never fix this mess of my life. And God says, no, I, I can do a lot through broken, contrite individuals. Those are the ones I look to because I'm good. He will always meet your genuine needs. He'll always forgive your sin, always. He will always be up to something good in your life, always. Jeremiah 21, 11, 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. He has good thoughts about your life. Not evil. God's not out to destroy your life. He has thoughts of peace with an expected end. You may wonder, where is this going? I'm on a, I'm on a roller coaster called life. God says, from my perspective, you're headed straight toward this expected end. Trust him. Romans 8, 26 through 34, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself giveth, uh, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And the rest of that passage goes on to, to flesh out what that purpose is. And how God wants to use us. But you have to believe that God is so good that he can work all things together for good. You have to believe that he is always up to something good in your life. Always. He is good and that means that he will always love me personally. Always. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You see all that he lists. No demon from hell, no, no peril, no famine, nothing can separate you from his love. He has set his love on you. Jeremiah 1, 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The fact that God would set his everlasting love on me, that he has sight of me, he has sight of you, is an amazing thought. John 17 expounds upon it further in verse 23. It says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Did you catch those two phrases? It says that God has loved us the same way he loves his son. That's phenomenal. That's, that's almost unbelievable. But it's Bible because God is good always. He will always love me personally. Do you believe that God loves you? Nothing can separate you from his love. The next one here, as we continue to meditate together on God's goodness he will always give me the grace I need, always. 
2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I love that, 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 that phrase, uh, that passage, because it uses the word all, all, all. And abound. Those are great descriptive words. God's not just giving us a couple sprinkles of grace. He's able to give us all that we need, all sufficiency for everything. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, hey, I'm working, but He's working, we're working together, He is enabling me, I can't hardly tell what's me and what's Him. Is God working through me? Well, it's all Him, even if it feels like it's me. The next one is so powerful, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And this is the passage, you remember, where he is told that he was given this thorn in the flesh. We think it was some physical suffering. Maybe something, a sickness with his eyes or whatever. But he asked God three times to remove it, and God said, no, I've given you this for a purpose. And basically, it was this lest you would be exalted above measure. Because he had such an amazing ministry and he had seen the Lord and he'd seen visions and been used of God in miraculous ways and had this huge ministry that God said, you're just a human. And you could be exalted above measure and you could fall. Take heed when a man thinketh he standeth, lest he fall. And God says, I don't want you to fall. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Boy, I don't know if I want that, right? You say, you pray certain prayers, maybe like what I've prayed. Lord, don't let me fall into this sin or whatever. Lord, help me to be the father I need to be, the husband I need to be. Help me to be the pastor I need to be here. And you look at other pastors sometimes, there's scandals and there's heartbreak and uh, there's, there's disgrace. And I say, Lord, don't let that happen to me. Maybe you've prayed something like that. Maybe Paul prayed that. Maybe the answer is a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> uh, I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> uh, Lord, just, just help me to, to, to do it some other way. The Lord says, I'm going to keep you useful. I'm going to keep you usable. Uh, I'm going to keep you humble. And we're going to get through this together, but you're going to need this. I know what you need. You can trust me. This is going to help you. I'm not trying to break you. I'm trying to help you. So he got a thorn in the flesh. You know, he's not the only one to ever get a thorn in the flesh. I've been reading about Charles Spurgeon. Anybody know that name, Charles Spurgeon? Yeah. The Prince of Preachers. He preached at 22 years old. He was preaching to 10,000 people. I think he started at like 16 or something like that. 19 years old, he was already well known. Wow, God was using this guy. But you know, God also wants longevity and he doesn't want Charles Spurgeon to crash and burn and so he gave him some thorns in the flesh. Charles Spurgeon had gout, he had arthritis, he had daily pain, and he had some condition that caused inflammation of the kidneys. Kidneys, I don't know, somewhere in here. Okay. Uh, too many medical people around here. Uh, kidneys. Uh, inflammation and swelling and all of this, and the kidneys really wreaked havoc on his mood. He suffered from severe depression. I've read some of his writings, and, and he, he wails sometimes through his pen. He just laments 
And in, in, he was an incredible writer, an incredible man with words. And the way he can paint the picture of what he was going through is it's a bit frightening at times to read and a bit shocking. This is Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the man who could preach and, and write so well and just bring you into the presence of God. And we think, how in the world could he deal with such darkness and despair and, and depression? Folks, maybe it was what God took him through down here that allowed him to usher you and I into God's presence up here. Don't like to think about that, but that's oftentimes how God works. And in the last 20 years of his ministry, 20 years, the last 20 years of his ministry, he was out of the pulpit one-third of that time. That's almost seven years. They would send him to some sunny place in France, if I got it right, to uh, maybe get some vitamin D and, and uh, try to replenish his health. When he was in London, he was preaching sometimes 10 times a week, writing prolifically, and he would go uh, and he would recover his health and so forth. Uh, but he understood some things about suffering. And I've read some of his writings even recently, and, and you say, wow, he was grateful for them. He, uh, he saw it as a thorn in the flesh, but he, he said, I thank God every time I have a good day. Some of us, we just take that for granted. If I feel good, if I feel good, I, I just thank God. There's nothing as good as a good day. And then he says, except for suffering because I can't say, I didn't write down the quote, but it was something along those lines. Uh, he recognized the value that God, uh, of what God was doing in his life. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. That sounds like a crazy man talking. Nobody takes pleasure in infirmity. Well, if you know what Paul knows, you can. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, what Paul recognized, and I believe what Charles Spurgeon and so many other Christians have recognized is this. They learned some things about God they could never have learned any other way than going through the valley. We know what it is like to be strong with the arm of the flesh. But do you know what it's like to be strong when you're not, to know that God is carrying you, that he is giving you wings as eagles, that you're mounting up with wings as eagles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, he'll always give you the grace that you need in a trial, through a trial, in a valley, in the darkness. He'll give you the grace that you need. Why? Because he is good always. I know we're taking a lot of time on this, but I want us to continue. God is great always. What does that mean? It means that he is always in control of all things. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Take that, any dictator who thinks he's in control. Take that, any political party who thinks they're in control. His kingdom ruleth over all. Isaiah 14, 27, The Lord of hosts hath purpose, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Folks, that should speak encouragement and hope to our lives. That when he says something, you cannot unsay it. And when he stretches out his hand, you can't push it back. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's who our God is. He is great and he's in control. You know, I think all of us are control freaks to a point. You know, we like to say, oh, that guy's a control freak. Well, we all have our, our, our little portion, our compartmental control freak issues, okay? I have them. I don't like to lose control in my life. I don't like to lose control of my health. I don't like to lose control of my finances. You, 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 you get me. There's things that we, we just want this a certain way. And you and I will never get peace and hope from grappling for control 
We will only get peace and hope by resting in His control. Because folks, no matter how hard we try, we're never in control. We buy insurance. We buy insurance on the insurance. We buy security. We buy all kinds of things for peace of mind, for some sense of control. And yet there's still no guarantees. The only guarantee is God is in control. He is great. He's always in control. He is great. He's always present with me. Whither, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Psalm 139. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy hands shall hold me. If, uh, surely, uh, the, I'm sorry, if I say, surely the darkness cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. That passage is so amazing. You can't get away from God. He is everywhere. And you've heard someone say it, if not said it yourself. You've heard someone say, I am going through, forgive me for saying this, but they say, I'm going through a living hell. You've heard someone say that? Oh, I'm, what I'm going through, Pastor Barber, is, is hell on earth. Now that's not true. There's no such thing as hell on earth, okay? It's, a, it's an expression. But what, next time you think that, or say that, or hear someone say that, you can go to Psalm 139 and say, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Even if it is a hell on earth, so to speak, you still haven't lost Jesus. You can't lose him. Even in the dark, he says, there's light. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He is there in the light and he is there in the dark. That's who he is. Isaiah 41 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's what he does, because he is always present with me, always. Jeremiah 23, 24, can any, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? He is always present with me, always. Just a couple of more. He is always the same, always for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6. Hebrews 1.10, And the Lord in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. He's always the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. We sing it, and it's true. He's always the same. He is great, and that means he's always trustworthy. 2 Timothy 2, 13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Psalm 36, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness, faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. God is not man that he should lie, nor the Son of man that he should repent. He hath, set, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken? Shall he not make it good? This is who our God is. He is true and he is faithful. He will always come through on his word. He's always wise in what he does, always. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Folks, I don't know about you, but this one gets me. I'm always trying to figure everything out. I don't know about you guys. It's, it's good to think things through. It's good to analyze. Sometimes it's a curse. I am uh, not always analytical. There's some things I just don't care about. Other things I care about. I used to want to be the best basketball player ever. That was my goal in life. I wanted to be able to shoot the ball the best. So I took all of my basketball cards, I sorted them out by the, the statistics on the back. And if a guy had a three-point shot that was 35% or better, I would set those aside, I organized them, free throw, free throw percentage. And so I found all the good guys and I looked at the pictures in the front and I, I examined their shooting posture, their shooting form. And all these guys would be sitting there at the, at the free throw line. 
and, you know, different things. And I would, I would look at how their wrist, where the wrist went, where their eyes went. And I discovered in my little research that the good shooters, I had all these, all these shot, uh, uh, cards that had them shooting the ball. And the good shooters, their eyes would follow the ball, not stay on the rim. And I've found that to be true ever since, the rest of my life, everywhere I've gone. Uh, when someone shoots, if their eyes stay on the rim, they're not probably that good of a shooter. But if they shoot and their eyes follow the ball, they're a good shooter. You see it on TV? Anyway, I figured this out myself, sorry, and I analyzed all this and I put it in my life and I, I break it down. That can be good sometimes and it can be a curse other times. Trying to break down every little itty-fitty thing about what's going on in my life and how do I fix this and how do I do this and, and sometimes, folks, you have to step back and recognize that God is smarter than me God is wiser than me. Sometimes he wants me to break some things down and sometimes he doesn't. His knowledge is unsearchable and his way is past finding out. There are some answers, folks, you and I will never get in this earth by analyzation. There are some things we'll never figure out because it's his wisdom. Colossians 2.3 says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We've got to trust his wisdom, that God knows what he's doing, that God is in control, that he's always wise in what, he's, in what he does. Lean not into our own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Comes back to simple faith again. <clears throat> they sing the song of Moses, Revelation 15. The servant of God, the son of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for only thou art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. This is who he is. He is the all-wise one. Now, folks, what did we just do? We just took a long time to meditate on two points about God his goodness, and his greatness. And we didn't even scratch the surface. And I hope you've learned a little bit more about who God is and why you can trust him and, and why this God gives hope. He is the giver of hope. Now, I debated about, should I do this? I thought, do we want to go through this whole thing as a congregation on a Sunday morning? I thought I could just give you the handout and have you do it at home. But I thought, no. The only way to guarantee you go through it is we go through it together. We are so busy. I thought, well, no, we need to do this together and, and learn that this is what we need to continually, daily do. Put this in your Bible. Put this with your, 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 your uh, uh, devotional notebook and, and uh, pull it out when you need to get a hold of who God is and get some hope. Now back to Psalm 78 and we'll close that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their, hope, their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Not only does the hope of the generations to come hang upon the intimate knowledge of God, but also the hopelessness of previous generations as a result of their failure to know God. Folks, this is a sobering passage to me, Psalm 78. Because not only may I end up hopeless in my life and my generation, but I may doom the next generation to come, the generations to come, to the same hopeless plight. Think back to the burned out, the burned out cottage. Think back to Grandpa. He had an opportunity to do one of two things to declare to the next generation the praises and the marvelous works of God and to instill hope that the grandson would set his hope in God or he had an opportunity to doom him to the same hopelessness of his existence. A stubborn and rebellious generation is obsessed with their own way, their own desires. They seek to know themselves rather, to, rather than to know God. A stubborn and rebellious generation does not set their heart aright This takes intentionality. This takes discipline and resolve. And it takes, 
a humility to say, Lord, I know you want me to know you, and I know that means I'm going to walk with you through some trials. Lord, help me not to despair. Help me to come through those trials, to meet you in the valley, and to know you like I've never known you before. Another thing that Psalm 78 teaches us is just how much we are dependent upon each other to get to know God. This generation has to get to know God and then tell it to this generation. And then they have to arise and tell it to their children so that they may set their hope in God. Folks, in other words, the way God made it, we need each other to be able to have hope and to be able to instill hope in others. And folks, it's like this. I've mentioned this before or something similar to this. It's not that some of us here have hope in God and some of us don't. All of us know God. Remember Dory? It's in there somewhere, but we forget it. We forget, we forget, we forget, but it's all in there. No, uh, the, the, the issue is this, that sometimes we lose our way for a time. Sometimes I get all wound up, just wound up like a top. Just, just wound up as, and you think, oh, I gotta, I, I, I'm, I'm going to break. The devil says, sure, I'll let you out of there. He pulls the string. Vroom. So you went from being wound up like a top to spinning out of control. I don't, I don't care who you are you're probably going to be confused, disoriented, and lose your way during that time. That's where you need somebody else who comes along and says, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. stop spinning. Okay, let me grab you here. We're going this way. Well, I don't know where we're going anymore. I don't know. It's okay. This way, focus over here. But I'm confused. I know you're confused. We're going to focus over here. This is what God says. This is who God is. This is what he is in this, in this situation for you. This is what he wants you to do. Take this step. I don't know if I can do it. You, take this step. And we do that for each other. And that's what we do generationally. That's what we do interpersonally. We are helping each other to set our hope in God. We need each other. You need people in your life. I need people in my life. I got a phone call from my uncle on Friday that was just such a blessing to me. He shared some personal things. He shared uh, his several stories and God pulling him through and we, we compared some notes and it just, it, it gave me hope. He instilled hope in me because he had gone through so much more than I've gone through. But it was so similar to what I'm going through as a pastor and what I deal with the similarities were so amazing, yet he had gone through way more and God had pulled him through in such incredible ways and it was just so helpful, so refreshing. And, 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 and in that sense, on Friday, on that simple phone call, my uncle helped me set my hope in God. Pastor, had you lost your hope in God? Hey, folks, uh, I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what the songwriters sing. Uh, there are times where, yeah, I get disoriented too. And, and, and you're trying to trust the Lord in a situation and yet, and, and yet you lose your way and someone, God sends someone and, and, and hope is renewed. You need to be willing to be both individuals. I've said this before. Be willing to receive. And then as you've received, be willing to declare. God's going to use you to declare to somebody His praises. His strength, His marvelous work, Psalm 78 kind of stuff to tell the next generation so they'll set their hope in God. Do you need hope as we close? Do you need hope? Well, determine to know God. I'm sorry, determine to get to know God in a deeper and more intimate way. Take time. Get a plan. Carry something with you in your pocket. You can bring out and, and, and look at it. Uh, Jim Berg talks about the stop, think cards. He says, get a little stop, think card and it has a stop sign on it. And you pull it out, stop! Turn it over. Don't think about this, think about this. This is what's true about God. We need to determine to get to know God in a deeper, more intimate way. We need to recognize that one of the ways you'll get to know him better is through trials. And you need to embrace the valleys as an opportunity to lead you to a knowledge of God you could have never found any other way. The knowledge of God is not something academic. It's not some feeling or some ethereal whatever. The knowledge of God is not goosebumps up and down your neck. 
could, I mean, could, could involve that, I suppose. Knowledge of God is walking with him through the valleys, through the darkness, through the lessons, and learning to rest in him. Do you know the giver of hope? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. It comes from the giver. We've got to be committed to getting, know, to, getting to know our giver of hope, our great God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us now as we just take some time, just a, a moment here to reflect. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to get to know the giver, that you would take us deeper in our walk with you and our understanding of you and our intimate knowledge of you, and may we be able to help one another <clears throat> to set our hope in God. Pray you'd work now in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We stand to your feet. Just take a moment to recalibrate on who God is, his goodness, his greatness in your life. Ask him, Lord, help me to get to know you more intimately that you would give me the hope that is mine to have for every day, for every trial. He is good. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Or one of our other folks here could talk to you and take a Bible and share with you how you can know for sure you're saved and on your way to heaven. It's the most important thing to know him, to know that he saved you so you have the hope of eternal life with Jesus. is so great. Let's meditate on him. Pastor C is going to come and dismiss us with prayer. If you're able to be back tonight at six, we'll have uh, our, first, uh, our first lesson in the new series on the necessity of prayer. Looking forward to that, Pastor C. Thank you, Pastor Barbara. It's great. He never fails. You can take hope in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us and gave your son for us and that he lives evermore, never to experience death again and that he will give us life eternal. Father, I pray that we would live abundant and eternal lives even here on this earth in anticipation of his coming. Father, help us to have great hope, confident assurance that Jesus is coming and is working and will do what he said. You have no reason to doubt. You've never failed. You never will. Lord, I pray you keep us safe as we travel to home and back. Bless life groups tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.